Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. What I know is I am eternally grateful for spiritual principles and truths and teachings and for the opportunity to, to rely on those and to practice those in these times so that if I can't enjoy the ride, at least I can get through the ride. But I'm going to hold for trying to enjoy the ride. So we have been exploring together a great little book written by uh, George Leonard. He is a um, black belt in Aikido, which is a martial art. And the name of the book is Mastery. It's still available on Amazon. I encourage you to consider picking up a copy of it, supporting his work and going deeper into these ideas of mastery. How do we take this journey of life in a way that leads to success and to long-term fulfillment? And so we've explored together some concepts around mastery, what it is and what it is not, what it requires of us. And I think one of the important themes we've really understood is that it is first and foremost an inner experience. That mastery, yes, we can see evidence when someone is masterful in any particular field of endeavor. We see it and it's inspiring and beautiful, but it is more than the outer accomplishment of anything. It is first and foremost an inner experience and a way of being in life itself. Today, as we wrap this this series up, we're going to look at the tools that we need for mastery. And Leonard outlines these as these four tools in his book. Number one, learning to deal effectively with homeostasis. Learning to deal effectively with homeostasis. The second is getting and maintaining your energy for mastery. Getting and maintaining your energy for mastery. The third is knowing the pitfalls along the way. Knowing the pitfalls along the way. And the fourth, which is actually my, my favorite, is mastering the commonplace. Mastering the commonplace. So let's dig deeper into each of these. The first, learning to deal effectively with homeostasis. I'm sure you're familiar with the term backsliding, right? backsliding. We know what it looks like. You resolve to make a change, right? And usually toward the end of a year, we begin to think about what are our resolutions for the new year. And we set goals and intentions for the new year. And we're pretty good for a certain amount of time. And then we begin to experience that backsliding, right? You know what I'm talking about. We're successful for a while, and then it kind of tapers off and we backslide. Yesterday, I was wondering, where did this term come from? Where did the term backslide come from? And what I found is that it is most commonly connected to the Old Testament, that it was a term that was used, of course, translated into our English language, but it was used to describe the Israelites in their relationship with God, that they got close to God, and of course they believed in an anthropomorphic God, but they got close to God, and then because they erred, they sinned, they backslid, they 
lost ground, distance between themselves and God. Now that's a whole other story because mystically and metaphysically in new thought, we do not believe in an anthropomorphic God. We believe in a God as an essence, a force for good, a presence, not a, not a being. But anyway, this idea of backsliding is just that. It is the experience we have when we attempt to move towards something that is desirable that we want to accomplish, and we make progress for a while, and then we stop. You see, there is in us by nature, I think, a resistance to change, even when the change is for the better. Even when the change is for the better, there's this resistance to change. Our body, our brain, and our behavior has a built-in tendency to stay the same. Think about that for a moment. A built-in tendency to stay the same. Think about the last time you tried to change a habit right? You were probably very <clears throat> mindful in the beginning and very deliberate in your efforts to change that habit. But then after a while, you might kind of forget and you begin to backslide and you go right back to where you were. It's almost like you snap back to where you were. And this is what homeostasis is. It is the condition to bring things back to their previous state. It's a resistance to, to change. And it characterizes all self-regulating systems, including ourselves, including ourselves. You see, change brings with it resistance. Again, even if it is a change for the better, we want to adopt healthier lifestyle habits. We want to be more mindful. We want to be more patient. We want to be more loving, more kind, more understanding, whatever it may be, the there is resistance to that change. And the resistance, stay with us for a moment. The resistance is proportionate to the size and the speed of the change, not whether it is a favorable change or not. The resistance to the change is proportionate to the size and the speed of the change, whether the change is for the good or not. Last, I believe it was last year, I picked up a copy of the book, Atomic Habits. And one of the things I really enjoyed in that book was the idea of whenever you're trying to adopt a, a better habit, a better lifestyle habit or a spiritual habit or mental or emotional habit, to begin with tiny little versions of the change. And for example, if you decide that your, your improved habit has to do with getting out and walking or running every day, we all know how we might be resistant to that. We do it for the first few days or weeks, and then we begin to backslide, to go back to the way things were. I remember the author of that book suggesting, you know, set it up so there are physical tiny reminders of what you said you were going to do. So if you said you were going to be running or, or walking in the morning, put your shoes right at the foot of your bed so you almost trip over them. My words, not his. So you almost trip over them when you get out of the bed in the morning. And that these tiny little reminders and these subtle atomic changes build over time. Because remember, the resistance to change or the desire for homeostasis is directly proportionate to the size of the change that we are attempting to make and the speed in which we are attempting to make it. So if we can bring it down a little smaller 
and give ourselves a little more time, we will probably find that we are more successful. And so being forewarned is being forearmed, really, as a tool for mastery, no matter what it is we are wanting to become better at, if we are forewarned and we are then forearmed that there will be this tendency to snap back to the way that things were. And here's where having some sort of support system can be so helpful. Jesus had a support system. He didn't call it a support system. He called it his disciples, his, his, his tribe, his team that were there to not just further his message and not just for him to teach them, but to provide a certain, I believe, what we'd call today, a resonant field of consciousness. A resonant field of consciousness. In our unity tradition, we often refer to it as partners in believing or as um, a faith partners or prayer partners. Out in the non-spiritual world, it's probably referred to as accountability partners. But something that helps us to overcome that tendency to snap back to the way things were. So that first tool is recognizing homeostasis and being forewarned and therefore forearmed in being able to overcome it. The second tool is getting and maintaining our energy for mastery. Getting and maintaining our energy for mastery. You know, we can look at the human being, at least the physicalness of the human being, as this wondrous machine. And it's designed for movement. It's designed to be used. It wears out. It wears out from lack of use. And we are learning that this is true not only of our physical organism, but we're learning that it's also true of the brain itself. In some of the research related to to Alzheimer's and, and diseases of, of memory, if you will, what some of the research is suggesting is that those who actively continue to engage the, the mind, whether it is with crossword puzzles or other kinds of things, their minds remain malleable, their brains remain more fluid, the neurons fire instead of stopping, instead of stopping. So we wear out from lack of use. I remember the story of Paganini and his, his beautiful Stradivarius violin. And if I'm remembering the story correctly, after his passing, that violin was attempted to be preserved so that it could be enjoyed. And it was put in, sealed in a case. But over time, what happened, because it wasn't being played, it began to disintegrate. Think about that for a moment. Think about what's happening to some people that because of sheltering in place, it is difficult or frightening to them to get out and, and walk and be physically active. And I know that that's a very real challenge for any number of people today. And so this idea of, well, what can we do? What can we do to get and maintain our energy for mastery. There's a really good practical book that speaks to some of this. The title of the book is The Power of Full Engagement. It's written by Tony Schwartz and Jim Lauer. And it's about managing energy, not time, as a key to high performance. Think about that. Managing our <clears throat> energy more than time 
as a key to high performance. You know, I'm an advocate of the idea of putting first things first. First things first. You may recognize that as one of the seven habits from Stephen Covey, but it goes way older than that. Jesus talked about putting first things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. But I was thinking a little bit more about that idea of seeking first things first and how it can connect to if we make the commitment to still seek first things first, but to put those first things at the time of day or the day of the week that we are naturally more energized, we will find that that becomes a tool for us for mastery. And again, no matter what it is that we are trying to master. In the book, Leonard sounds very much like unity when he identifies some things that can help us to get and maintain our energy. I'll quickly run through a few of them, but they sound so unity, don't they? Maintaining our physical fitness. Unity is grounded in principles of prayer and in health and wholeness. Acknowledging the negative, but accentuating the positive. So we don't put our heads in the sand. We don't deny that there may be problems and challenges, but we know that there is something beyond that. And we are not limited by the negative. We accentuate the positive. We honor, but we don't indulge in whatever shadow aspect there is within us. We set our priorities. We make commitments. We take action. And so it's what are the things that you can do that you know because they've worked for you in the past help you to get and maintain your energy for mastery? That is especially important right now as many of us are sheltering in place. And the answer to that question might be a little bit different today than it was at the beginning of the year. We may not be able to, to get and maintain our energy the way we did in the beginning of the year in the same way now. But that doesn't mean there isn't something we can do now in the circumstances we find ourselves in now to get and maintain our energy for mastery that leads to greater success and satisfaction in our lives. The third tool for mastery is to know what the pitfalls are along the way. To know what the pitfalls are along the way and to not, to not be stopped by them. There are going to be stumbling blocks. There are going to be obstacles in our way. We might be able to dance around some of them. We might have to hop over others. We might have to big, dig a tunnel beneath others. I don't know what the answer is to all of them. But I do know that if I keep in my mind the awareness, you know what, there are going to be some pitfalls along the way, I am less likely to give up when I encounter them. I want to read a piece to you that one of our members, our um, long-distance uh, uh, Vimeo member, or YouTube member rather, I should say. Her name is Coral Miles. She connects with us from Queensland, Australia. She sent me this piece just yesterday, and I thought it fit in so perfectly with this idea of knowing what the pitfalls are along the way to the path of mastery, because I would say one of the major pitfalls is the pitfall of impatience. How many of you recognize in yourself the tendency toward impatience? I know it's a strong tendency I have, and it's something I need to, to look at and be willing to work with. This is a piece that 
Coral sent to me. It's actually from a book by the title, The Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo. Repetition is not failure. There is no expected pace for inner learning. I like that, just that alone. There is no expected pace for inner learning. What we need to learn comes when we need it. No matter how old or young, no matter how many times we have to start over, no matter how many times we have to learn the same lesson, we fall down as many times as we need to to learn how to fall and get up. We fall in love as many times as we need to to learn how to hold on and to be held. We misunderstand the many voices of truth as many times as we need to, to truly hear the choir of diversity that surrounds us. Isn't that beautiful? We suffer our pain as often as necessary for us to learn how to break and how to heal. No one really likes this, of course, but we deal with our dislike in the same way again and again until we learn what we need to know about the humility of acceptance. About the humility of acceptance. Knowing that, knowing that, you know, there may be some repetition. I may keep coming in contact with the same kinds of life experiences, which is simply a way of saying there's something in here still that I haven't quite yet got. There's a piece of this that I don't quite understand yet. And we can choose to step back and hold that with greater understanding and greater spaciousness and wisdom and see it really as a blessing and a gift in disguise that we are lovingly being presented with this yet again so that we can get it, move past it, and be stronger for the getting of it. There are so many pitfalls that can come up for us. Leonard lists at least 13 of them in the book. I refer you back to the book for those. But knowing that, hey, this is going to happen. It doesn't mean I should give up. Remember in previous lessons we, talk about, we talked about how mastery is not this perfect straight upward trajectory that there is up and there is down, there is forward and there is backward, and then there can be what seems like a very long period of time on a plateau. And boy, how many folks have a tendency to give up when they're on the plateau. And giving up is not what we want to be doing. The fourth tool I said in my comments at the beginning of the message is my favorite. And I was so happy to go back and revisit this idea of mastering the commonplace. I'm going to read this a section of this to you. And when I was reflecting on it for myself, I thought, oh my gosh, Wendy, this is so important for you to understand. And I hope that there's something in here that's meaningful to you. Mastering the commonplace. Our preoccupation with goals, results, and the quick fix has separated us from our own experiences. To put it more starkly, it has robbed us of countless hours of the time of our lives. We awaken in the morning and hurry to get dressed. Getting dressed doesn't count. We hurry to eat breakfast so we can leave for work. 
eating breakfast doesn't count. We hurry to get to work. Getting to work doesn't count. Cleaning, straightening, shopping for groceries, driving the children to various activities, preparing food, washing dishes, commuting, performing the routine aspects of life. This is the in-between time, the stuff we have to take care of before getting on to the things that count. But if you stop to think about it, most of life is in-between. Could all of us reclaim the lost hours of our lives by making everything, the commonplace, along with the extraordinary, a part of our practice? Ultimately, nothing in this life is commonplace. Nothing is in between. When I was reflecting on those words, the ones that stood out to me most of all was when he would give little vignettes and examples, certainly examples I could relate to, getting dressed in the morning, getting to work, getting ready for this, getting ready for that, and how each time he would say, getting dressed doesn't count, eating breakfast doesn't count, getting to work doesn't count. And I really thought about that, and I'm still thinking about that. Because each time we look at those in-between activities, with this energy, it's not a necessarily a conscious thought we have, but it's an energy or a way of being we have in those moments of getting to something else and the in-between just doesn't matter. Think about how much of our lives we're really absent to. And it's not that every single thing in life is equally the same. I don't think that it is. But what I do know is to the extent that I just blindly go through, well, getting dressed doesn't count, or, or getting breakfast ready doesn't count, or getting the groceries doesn't count. It's as if I am losing the living experience of those moments. If this pandemic is teaching us anything, and I suspect it's teaching all of us a lot of things, it's got to be how precious life is, and how uncertain so much of life is. I mean, think about it. I have, I imagine you have. Who would have ever dreamt when we welcomed in 2020, which was supposed to be such a totally different year for us, right? 2020, perfect vision. This is going to be the year that we just personally and collectively and nationally and globally get our act together. Who could have ever dreamed at the start of 2020 that we would be living life the way that we are right now, globally. That we would be having to rethink and restructure and reformat every aspect of life from how we parent our children and teach our children to how healthcare is delivered, to how we shop, to how we work. Every, so much, life is precious. And it's so easy just to say those words and forget them, right? And and it's so easy to say, yeah, yeah, nothing is, it stays the same forever. But we are living in a time that is bringing all of that up in such a magnified way for each of us. And in the magnification of that, it is my hope that I and you do not forget some of the really important things. Just how precious we are to each other, 
just how fragile our planet is and how fragile the web of life is and how much we can do to, to harm it and how much responsibility is really in our hands to be better caretakers of our love and kindness toward each other, of the way that we engage in business, of the way that we treat our planet. And so looking at not just the goals that we have and the things that we are trying to accomplish, but bringing it back even to the commonplace, to the in-between, and recognizing this too is my life. That too is your life. So I hope in today's message there is at least one or two ideas that really are percolating for you and that you will take them and you will use them to emerge a better version of yourself and to emerge more committed to doing what you can where you are to make this world a kinder, more loving, more just place for all of us. Namaste. Namaste. 